The following sermon is from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us on Sundays for our 8.15 and 11 a.m. worship services. For more information, visit us online at faith-pca.org. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 26. So go to the front of your Bible, Genesis 26. We started a series last week on the life of Jacob. So we were in Genesis, and we went up through Abraham back a year ago. And then we took a break, and we studied the Gospel of Mark. Now we're back in Genesis, and we're looking at chapter 26, but one of the, and it's the life of Jacob is the series. But one of the things you're going to notice as I read is Jacob is not mentioned in this passage. This passage is about... Jacob's father, Isaac. And I actually thought about skipping this and going to chapter 27, but I will not because it's very significant. Uh, this is a very significant chapter. It's actually the only chapter in Genesis that focuses on Isaac, and it's important particularly because it sets up the life of Jacob and it's foundational to the life of Jacob, but it is also it is important passage for the rest of Scripture. And the reason it is important is because it tells us that the blessings and the covenant promises that were made, that God made to Abraham, are still intact. That they continue on and are passed on through Abraham's son, Isaac. That is the point of this passage, that the blessing and the promises made to Abraham continue on to the next generation through Isaac. And so with that introduction... In that background, follow along with me. This is God's Word, 26. I'm going to be reading 1 through 17 this morning of Genesis 26. This is the Word of the Lord. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I will tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all of these lands." In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar, and when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking that lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. And so Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. 
And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with the earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. And so Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. This is the word of God. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and to help us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we do uh, ask for your Spirit to help us to make the word clear. I cannot do that. Only you can do that. And so would you, we come this morning from many different situations, many different stages of life and ages and um, Some of us are sad, some of us are excited about life, others of us are suffering in some way. Wherever we are, come through your Spirit and take this passage, this word from the outside, and put it inside our hearts. Give us something uh, that would encourage us and challenge us uh, and lead us to repentance and show us uh, how faithful you are to your covenant promises. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. I want us to jump right into the passage this morning, so if you have your Bible, look with me, and at uh, verse number one, so the first verse, you see the context, so this sets up uh, Genesis chapter 26, there is a famine in the land. Uh, So in other words, Isaac's world, the world in which he was living, And his situation was uncertain and difficult. And, you know, we we might not be experiencing now a famine. Uh, Yes, groceries are higher than they've ever been. Uh, But everyone in this community and in our context, uh, we're still eating and we still have water. Um, And so though we might not be in a famine... We could say, however, that we are living in a very uncertain, in a very difficult world. Think about the pandemic. Will it ever go away? Uh, Think about the economy, and it seems to be heading in the wrong direction. Think about the war in Ukraine. All of those things in the world and context in which we live, not to mention the uncertainty and the difficulty in your own lives personally and the things that are going on within your own family. Maybe it's the uncertainty of a job. Or maybe it's the uncertainty of a health diagnosis. Or maybe it's a business deal that you're not sure will go through. Or maybe you're asking the question, will I ever get married? Or students, maybe you're asking the question, I really want to get into this college. Will I get in? And we could go on. The main theme this morning of this passage is that in the midst of the uncertainty in Isaac's world and the uncertainty and difficulty in your world, What I want you to see is that God remains faithful, that God is true. 
And so faithfulness is the key word. It's the theme this morning. And we see God's faithfulness in this passage in three ways. Through his promise, uh, through his protection, and we see his faithfulness through his provision. His promise, protection, and provision. So let's look at our first heading, God's faithfulness in his promise. Look at verses 1 through 6. If you're a moviegoer, something big is happening this week. The long-awaited Top Gun sequel is coming out. Now, it has a lot of hype to live up to. We will see. But you know sequels. uh, And sequels typically involve the same characters and typically the same basic plot line and structure. Why do I tell you that? Because Isaac's life, in many ways, is a sequel to his father's life, to Abraham's life. Because as we're going to see as we walk through this, um, it's going to share many of the same plot lines and much of the same structure. What is the point of the sequel? What is the point of the repetition from Moses, the author? He is making a point to us this morning, again, that Isaac is indeed the son of promise. That the son or that the promises made and blessings to Abraham are indeed passed down to his son Isaac. And we start to see that immediately. Look at verse 2. Isaac faces the same temptation, just like his father Abraham, to abandon the promise and go to the abundant prosperity of the Nile River in Egypt. And then, look at verses 3 through 4, God makes this incredible promise to to Isaac. And if you listen closely, I'll read a portion of it, it's going to sound very familiar. Why? Because it's almost the exact same promise that God makes to Isaac's father Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Listen, verses 3 and 4, I will be with you. I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and will give you your offspring, all these lands, and your offspring and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Again, nearly the same language as Genesis chapter 12. God tells Abraham, go to the land I will show you. And what does Abraham do in Genesis chapter 12? He goes. Even though he doesn't know where he is going, he trusts God, he walks by faith, in obedience. This promise is reiterated here with Isaac, and how does Isaac respond? Verse 6, he settles. God didn't call him to go like he did Abraham. He called Isaac to stay. But the point is Isaac obeys God, and he stays Even in the midst of very uncomfortable, think about the famine, in much uncertainty and difficulty in his circumstances. A pastor friend of mine shared this story with me this week. It's actually an article. Uh, And it was 1975, John Cavanaugh, who was a philosophy professor at a university, uh, goes to Calcutta to spend some time with Mother Teresa. He goes there for a time of prayer and service and ministry to the poor. And towards the end of his time there, he was really conflicted, thinking, should I stay and continue in this ministry, uh, serving the poor, or do I go back to 
the university and continue as a philosophy philosophy professor and so he agonized over this decision and he kept praying and praying Lord give me clarity give me clarity Lord and finally he brought Mother Teresa in and he said you know I'm really struggling on what to do Mother Teresa will you please pray for clarity for me and she looked at him and said I will not I will not pray for clarity What you need is trust. And she went on to say, he could not believe that response. And she went on to say that she'd never had clarity. That all she had ever had was trust. That's this passage. Neither Abraham nor Isaac had certainty nor clarity. All they had was trust in the promises of God. They didn't know the future. They didn't know what would happen. All they had to cling to was the promises of God. They had to walk by faith, not by sight. And the exact same thing is true for all of us this morning. Whatever your situation is, whatever the uncertainty and the difficulty is in your life and in the world, God calls us to trust. He calls us to walk by faith not by sight. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Why do I share that with you? Because if you are in Christ, these promises in Genesis chapter 26 are yours. Friends, let us not forget that faith is something that is active. Faith is something that needs to be exercised over and over and over again. It's one of the reasons why what we do here on Sunday morning in corporate worship with the church is so vitally important to your soul and to your spiritual health. Think about it. Sometimes before we even get to our car in the parking lot, We are overwhelmed, aren't we? Overwhelmed with the world pressing in on us, the uncertainties and the difficulties of the world, and we come here, and what do we do? We exercise our faith. We sing to ourselves. We sing to one another. That's why corporate worship is so important. We hear from God's Word. We go to KC in a smaller community, and we get in our grace groups, and we come to this table, and what are we doing? We're simply reminding ourselves of the covenant promises in the midst of the uncertainty and the difficulty of life. We remind ourselves, look at verse 3, that He is with us, that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And what do we do next week? We come back, and we do it all again. We do it all again and we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness and that his promises are true. We exercise our faith. If we gaze at the world and the uncertainty of our circumstances, we will be full of fear and we will be full of worry and anxiety. But if we gaze at Jesus... If we gaze on the faithfulness of God and the fact that he loves us and that we belong to him and that not a hair can fall from our head without God knowing it, if that's our focus, 
All of a sudden, we're full of trust, and we're full of peace, and we're full of calm. Friends, please do not think faith is automatic. You've got to take faith with you. You've got to exercise it in the midst of the uncertainty and the difficulties of this world and in your individual lives. Secondly, his protection. This is amazing what we're about to walk through, but also, I think, deeply comforting. I think you'll see as we go through it. Isaac demonstrates this incredible faith. There's the famine. He knows he can go to Egypt and get water. God says, stay, and so he stays. That's incredible faith. He obeys. And the very next instant, he's full of unbelief. And he falls into the same sin Abraham, his father Abraham committed. Think about this with me. Isaac sees God, and he hears God speak in verses 2 through 4, and then immediately unbelief. Immediately he thinks, I don't know if I can trust God to protect me. And so I've got to lie and say that Rebecca is my sister. And that's what happens in verse 7. These men ask him, is this your sister? And, And he says, this is my sister because she was attractive and he knew that they might kill him in order to get to her. Isaac, you see, was in a foreign land. He had no legal rights, and rather than trusting God to protect him, he decides that he would rather give up his wife and protect himself. And the heart of the issue here is this question. Can God be trusted to fulfill his promises and protect us? That's the question. Can he be trusted to fulfill his promises and protect Isaac. To say it another way, why do people lie? Why do we lie? Fear. It's coming because we're afraid of something. And so the question is, will Isaac fear God or will he fear man or something or someone else? And when, we, when fear overtakes us in our own hearts, It overtakes us when God is removed from the equation. When we take God out of the picture, and that's exactly what we see with Isaac. When Isaac is told, don't go to Egypt, stay in Gerar, God is in clear view, he's walking by faith, and he stays and he trusts. A moment later, God is nowhere in the picture, and when God is not in the picture, we tend to turn inward and get consumed with self. And that's exactly what we see happening with Isaac. Commentator Ian Duguid says, the problem with Isaac and the problem with this passage is the pronouns. Look at verse 9. The New International Version gets at it. Because I thought that I might lose my life on account of her. Do you hear it? Consumed only thinking of himself. In this moment, Isaac is full of fear and unbelief, and it leads him to self-protection and self-preservation. And we hear this, and we think, wow, that happened really quickly. I mean, and this, a lot of people do this, and you know how this happened so quickly. I mean, come on, Isaac saw God and heard God. If I could see God and hear God, I would be good for a long time at least. And 
the problem with that is that the Bible is very clear. Here's why this happened. The Bible is very clear. The problem is not the mode of revelation. The problem is your heart. The problem is not the mode of revelation. Think about 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says we actually have a better revelation than anything supernatural. We have this, God's Word. The Bible says the problem is not the mode of revelation. The problem is inside of us with our hearts. And I don't know about you, but I am so glad this is in the Bible. Because it sounds a whole lot like my life. Doesn't it sound like yours? Filled with faith, one minute. (laughs) And then it seems within an instant, filled with failure, unbelief, and self-protection. What does it look like? Well, maybe it looks like for you having a great time of corporate worship. And before you even get to your car, you're consumed with worry and fear uh, and wondering whether or not God is going to take care of you. Or maybe you have a great conversation spiritually with someone in your workplace or with your family, or you have a great time in the Bible, you have a great time praying, uh, maybe you have a family devotion at the dinner table, table, a great small group, and then it seems like an instant later, uh, the smallest, silliest thing sets you off, <laughs> and you snap, and you lash out at your family or someone around you, or maybe you lie about something that's really silly and you don't even need to lie about, but you do it anyway. Does that sound familiar? Well, the good news It's that even in our unbelief, in our failure, and in our failure, God protects the promise. Did you notice that? Look, let's look at this very quickly. Look at verses 8 through 11. Abimelech, a pagan king, looks out of the window and sees Isaac laughing. The New International Version, again, says it a little more clearly. says, I saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Abimelech confronts Isaac and says, you lied. Look, I looked out the window. She is not your sister. She is your wife. How could you do such a thing? You're going to bring guilt upon us. And then look at verse 11. It's a bit surprising. Abimelech says to everyone, you lay a hand on them, you die. If you lay a hand on Rebekah or Isaac, you die. Let me make two brief comments. First, notice God's commitment and faithfulness to his promises. He's so committed to his promises that he will use a pagan king like Abimelech to protect those promises. The other thing to notice is that Abimelech, again, a pagan king, confronts Isaac, the promised son. He confronts Isaac. Friends, don't miss the grace of God. The grace of God in that when God, when you get caught in your sin, it is the grace of God in your life. God often uses unlikely people. He often uses unlikely means to show you your sin, to bring it to the surface, your unbelief and your failure, so that you will see it, so that you will deal with it, so that you might be led to repentance, so that you continue to live according to the promise. 
And we often think when we get caught or we get confronted, how dare you? How dare you confront me? Um, or when we get exposed by God, we think God's trying to hurt us. God is not trying to hurt us. God is trying to save our lives. And he is trying to protect us. Parents or children, it's why parents often pray for their children to get caught. If they're ever in sin or hiding something, children, do you know your parents pray that? You should know. They pray for you to get caught. Why? Because they don't love you? No, because they do love you. Because they know that's the grace of God in your life when that is revealed. Because God loves you and he's committed to your holiness. And he will use all means, think about Abimelech here, to in order to keep you living in the promise. Lastly, his provision. Look at verses 12 through 18. Again, Isaac's unbelief and failure, God remains faithful to him and blesses him and causes him to prosper. He reaps a hundredfold of what he planted and becomes very wealthy. But here's what I want to focus on. This blessing brought with it all sorts of problems and difficulties. You know, we often think, well, we're a Christian, so then, you know, everything should always be good. No, it brought, think about this, these promises brought all sorts of difficulty for Isaac. The Philistines envied him. They start to harass him. They fill in his well so that his flocks cannot get to water and the lands can't get water. And they eventually run him out of town. And if you keep reading, Isaac's life is characterized by conflict and wandering. Child of the promise, blessed by God, but his life, just like our lives, it sound familiar, are often full of uncertainty and difficulty. And so what do we do with this? What do we do when we fill the gap of God's promises to us uh, with the reality of our lives? How do we make sense of that? Let me mention a couple of things as we close. Since we live this side of the cross, we've got to, you remember where we always head, we always head to Jesus. We've got to run everything through Jesus. Since we live this side of the cross, we must think about these promises in terms of the work of Christ and what Jesus has done for us. Jesus' blessings and promises were primarily spiritual in nature, this side of heaven. Spiritual in nature, I think that's important for us to be reminded of. Jesus guarantees your spiritual protection. John chapter 10, verse 28, no one can snatch you out of his hands. No one can take uh, or rob us of our salvation in Christ. Remember Romans chapter 8, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus blesses us with spiritual prosperity, doesn't he? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, we possess every spiritual blessing in Christ. We could talk about that for a long time. What does that mean? Well, one thing it means that in Jesus you have forgiveness of sins. Jesus provides uh, the presence of God in our lives. Jesus was ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, so he removed his physical presence from the earth. But what does Jesus do? He sends the comforter. Who's the comforter? The Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. John chapter 14, uh, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you and live inside of you. 
Matthew chapter 28, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so I say all of those things that when you feel the difficulty and when you feel the uncertainty in your life, the temptation for us is to say God is not good or God is not faithful or God, you're not making good on these promises that I'm reading about In those moments, remember that God blesses us through Christ, and those blessings are primarily spiritual this side of heaven. God does not promise us material prosperity. He does not promise us good health. And he doesn't promise us protection from all evil right now in this world. That's coming later, and that leads to the next thing we've got to remember. The other thing that we need to remember when we feel the gap in our lives is we must remember to look forward to the second coming of Christ. We have to be a forward-looking people. These promises to Abraham and Isaac, they are ultimately fulfilled when Jesus returns and ushers in the ultimate promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. And when Jesus returns... And uh, we, hear, we see in a physical nature the promises and the blessings of protection, prosperity, and his presence. Those things are made physical in the new heavens and new earth. Think about it. In the new heavens and new earth, you will be protected. Why will you be protected? Because there will be no more evil. It will be swallowed up and thrown into the lake of fire. In the new heavens and new earth, when Jesus comes, you will have all you need. Sin will be no more. And as far as the presence of God, you will see Jesus face to face. And so the question then is like, okay, I get that. I'm on board. I love that. So what do we do while we wait? Focus on the future. Be a forward-looking people. What you believe about the future impacts how you live today. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 18, when he said, I consider my present sufferings, my present uncertainty and difficulty, not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. He was forward-looking. Also, do not forget about the Holy Spirit. That might sound obvious, but we're good in our tradition of forgetting the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a real person. The Holy Spirit is meant to encourage you. You are not alone in your uncertainty and your hardships that you face. Remember, the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are indeed a child of God. The Holy Spirit prays for you when you don't know what to pray. And the Holy Spirit is your down payment and deposit that guarantees your future. That guarantees the ultimate promised land of the new heavens and new earth. What else do we need to do while we wait? We need to be committed to this. It's why weekly corporate worship is vital for your soul. Because in the midst of uh, the uncertainty, we come here every week to get our sanity restored to get our faith strengthened and renewed and be reminded of what is right and true in the world. And lastly, what do we do? We come to this table. What are the sacraments? 
The sacraments are God's faithfulness made visible. You see, this sacrament is a sign that points you to Jesus and reminds you that Jesus will never let you go. That Jesus is committed to you. And the sacraments in the Lord's Supper is also a seal in that it guarantees, write it down, it's what they're meant to communicate to us, that God is a promise keeper. And that you can guarantee that God will keep his promise. You ready to come to the table? Let's come to the table this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you for your uh, commitment to us. Would you forgive us for doubting? Forgive us for doubting your goodness and your care for us. Holy Spirit, strengthen and deepen our faith. When the reality is hard and we're discouraged, we pray for your help. Holy Spirit, fill us and encourage us. Be with us now as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.